Welcome to This Girl Puts Out. I'm your host, Carm Macaretta, and I interview real women with real stories about real life stuff. I'm inviting you to laugh, cry, and connect with my guests as they share some of their most impactful life experiences, from their brightest moments to their darkest hours. For more stories and an opportunity to share your own, visit me at thisgirlputsout.com. Welcome, everybody, to This Girl Puts Out, podcast episode number four. I'm your host, Carm, and I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, I have a uh, wonderful speaker and friend uh, who has been kind enough to be a guest today, and she's going to share with us um, her recent, very recent experience and journey with breast cancer. At this time in the United States, one in eight women are given a diagnosis of breast cancer. Um, our cure rates are highest they've ever been, but the emotional uh, toll that the diagnosis takes on an individual and a family is still continues to be uh, enormous. So Renee, thanks for being here today. I really appreciate it. And uh, it's, this is going to be a very meaningful talk for, for all of our guests. So thank you for agreeing to do this and share your story with everybody. Oh, Carm, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and thrilled to be part of this whole experience with you. Oh, thank you. Um, Renee, before we get into uh, the little bit of uh, questions that, that you and I discussed, would you just briefly uh, tell my audience um, just a, a quick blurb or two about yourself? Oh, well, um, I'm sort of like a middle-aged woman. woman. My children are, one's in college, one's from the uh, military. Um, I recently retired from teaching and I'm doing just some freelance kind of work with that. So you're married. Um, yep, I've been for... married for over 30 years. And uh, you're working. Yes, uh, I'm working part-time. Um, the whole COVID situations got me um, a little bit of a, on a roller coaster with our work because we're do, working into moving into a telehealth program and every day it sort of changes. But yeah, so I'm working from home. Um, my husband's working from home three days a week now, so I'm really liking that because he travels quite a bit. So, yeah. <laughs> One of those little silver COVID linings, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, as far as the whole situation with COVID goes, we're doing pretty well. Um, I know a lot of people are having a much harder time than we are with job loss and um, just coping with being home as much as, you know, some people are. Um, I personally feel like I've been social distancing because of the cancer for like the last almost year. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of used to being home a lot. So Sure, sure. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, well, speaking of your breast cancer, um, tell t what, what led up to your diagnosis? How were you diagnosed? Was it a mammogram finding? Was it something you found uh, yourself? Um, it was something I found myself. Um, it was interesting because it was um, September of 2018. I was, you know, going through menopause and things like that. And I noticed a swelling on my left breast and it was sore, almost like, you know, sometimes when you get your period, you, you get that kind of soreness. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a scheduled mammogram. So I went in for that and they found nothing. They just kind of dismissed it. Nope, this isn't anything. So, you know, you got that little bit of embarrassment of thinking maybe I'm a hypochondriac. Um, but then it was last May that um, I was in North Dakota visiting my family and 
um, I just, there was like an itch, like a deep itch. And so I was massaging my breast and it felt kind of like a pea or a small marble kind of something. And I was just like, oh, okay. Okay. And then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to ignore this. It'll go away. It was nothing. And that's kind of how I started with the whole journey. So in a swelling and an itch, um, not something like hard and palpable, just like a generalized swelling? That was in the fall, the previous mm -hmm. fall, it was like mm -hmm. a generalized swelling. Uh -huh. And then in May, it was definitely something hard, like a marble uh -huh. in there. And uh -huh. it was not a little bit smaller than a marble, but bigger than a pea. Yeah. It was definitely something. And you know... I, I guess when it became hard, you know, like a pee, that is something typical that we would look for, but a generalized swelling and itch, I mean, I could see anybody passing that off as, you know, maybe I bumped into something or maybe mm -hmm. it's hormonal. Um, so you're out of town, you feel this, this lump now, you come home and you, you go for, um, what'd you call your doctor? Do you go for another mammogram? What did you do when you got home from North Dakota? Um, well, I waited a week or so because mm -hmm. I was, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I scheduled a mammogram mm -hmm. and went in. And um, I also had to have a sonogram done for my thyroid because I'd had issues previous. So I thought I would just knock them both out. Um, so I went in for the mammogram. Um, that was a really surreal kind of experience for me. Um, normally when I go in, there's nothing. They've all been normal. Um, I chit chat with the nurses or the tech staff or whomever. And it's usually just a, a pleasant experience. And this time it started that way. But then after the mammogram, the tech got very quiet and she didn't make eye contact. And she just said she'd be right back. And I thought that was just kind of weird. And my first reaction was, well, that was rude. Um, <laughs> but then she came in with a PA who said, you know, we'd like to do a sonogram. And if you have time today, we'd like to do it. You know, we can get you in in the next 45 minutes. Um, and she was kind of serious. And I'm usually sort of a, I don't know, I'm upbeat and I can pretty much engage anyone in conversation. And everyone was kind, but they were professional and not as warm as usually when we go into those things. Um, so they did the sonogram and the doctor came back and said, um, I'd like to do a biopsy and I can do that now if you have time. So I was just, you know, that, that ice cold panic that kind of starts in the base of your stomach started to rise up in me. And I thought, oh, you know, what's going to happen here? Were you alone? Yes. Yes. Um, wow. So did you do the biopsy right there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did uh -huh. it right there. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. And then uh, obviously you don't get an immediate diagnosis. Um, you went home. And yep. how long until you got your phone call? Oh, it was the next day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were pretty quick about it. And the radiologist explained that to me. Um, when he talked, he said somebody would be contacting me and it was our primary care physician. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't my particular doctor, but it was somebody at the office who called and said um, that it was stage zero, in situ breast cancer, 
And then he said, um, which was kind of weird, he said, you know, this isn't a big deal. Stage zero is sort of a precancer. Um, so all you're going to need is a, a lumpectomy and some radiation. And he gave me a couple names of doctors that I could call. So, so that's kind of how that started. So they kind of already had the treatment lined up for you, you know, based on, I'm sure, you know, our uh, national guidelines. Um, but at that point, um, first, first of all, before we talk about second opinions, at this point, you know, you've got a, a positive diagnosis. Um, how, how did you react? Yeah, I didn't know what to think at first, because when he first said breast cancer, mm -hmm. I just sort of went numb. Mm -hmm. And then he, he minimized it, in fact, like, well, you know, it's stage zero, you'll just have it removed and some radiation and you'll be good to go. Um, we were at my daughter's at the time, and I just sort of sat there. And then I started to cry, because then I got a little bit scared. And, you know, she put her arms around me, and um, we just kind of sat there, a little bit mm -hmm. stunned. Mm -hmm. Um, and what's going through your mind, you might not even remember at this point, I'm sure it was sort of a shocking situation or traumatic. And oftentimes we don't remember what's going through our heads when we're yeah, in those yeah. situations. Do you remember? It, it was really just a feeling of dread and I didn't really want to deal with it. I had just started this new job. I was excited about it. Um, I had come back from North Dakota and I had met my birth family. So that was just a very stressful, exciting, but stressful event. So I was just mm -hmm. really ready to get back into my life again. And I thought, not now, this is just the timing of this is not good. Mm -hmm. I didn't want the inconvenience of it. And Well, sure. And it was kind of minimized for you, right? So, <laughs> yeah. okay. So, um, I know you, and you're a, a sensible, reasonable human, and I'm guessing the natural course of thought for you was, um, wait a second, is there is there another angle to this? So did you seek out other opinions and, you know, treatment options? Oh, absolutely, yeah. The first thing I did was research what um, the breast cancer was. Mm -hmm. um, I really wanted just to know everything I, I could about it. And I went to reliable websites. I went to like Mayo Clinic and Johns Hopkins and things like that to see what they had to say. And then we ended up getting three separate opinions. Wow. And that's time consuming. And all this time, this is growing, right? And you're, I'm sure time is of the essence. Um, so you have three opinions, and um, were, was your decision at all um, influenced by your medical insurance, or were you free and clear to, to do what you felt was best? Um, we had good insurance, so mm -hmm. yeah, we were free and clear to do mm -hmm. um, what was going to work for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so we were really lucky in that way, and our insurance company has walked us through each step of the way. Um, mm -hmm. That's one of the things with, with the cancer and all the things that we went through. It's dizzying. We were getting statements every day for months, and we didn't know if they were bills or if we should pay them. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and the clinic, Cleveland Clinic is where we ended up going. And between them and the insurance company, they were, they were great. They were like, nope, nope, just wait, just wait. You know, wait until the very mm -hmm. end, until they're about to send it to collection and then pay it mm -hmm. because it's much easier to – pay at the end than to overpay and try to get your money back. 
Sure, sure. And then there's all this cross, I don't know, contaminating, if you will, like what's been paid, what's still being invoiced, you know? Um, so that makes right. sense. But and we got a statement for everything. We got a statement when mm -hmm. I had blood work. We got a statement when I spoke to a doctor. Mm -hmm. We got a statement when we met with somebody else. It was just very dizzying. There's a mm -hmm. lot of, of paperwork. Mm -hmm. So you can see how... Obviously, you know, you were in a good situation. You had, you had good yeah. insurance without telling me the, the name of your insurance company. Mm -hmm. What type of insurance do you have? If you could put it in a category. What do you mean by that? Are you um, like, is it a commercial insurance company like Independent Health, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, oh, one of yeah. those or? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So um, you've made your treatment decision and at this point the news has settled with you right you're mm -hmm. you're dealing and um you know i mean you had to get ready for surgery right didn't you decide to go for what was your procedure you ended up choosing i ended up with a um choosing a double mastectomy um and it was interesting because um some of the opinions that i had gotten were this is how we treat it. It's a standard uh, lumpectomy and radiation. And then I looked into it a little bit more and I did some mm -hmm. statistic studies and there's not a lot out there, but the people that I have known that have had breast cancer mm -hmm. that opted for the lumpectomy and radiation, all of them got cancer back in the other side. And it, and it was interesting and ironic that that summer we were joking um, with my birth family about the amount of cancer that's in that family. And then I come home and I get diagnosed with cancer. So I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do the double mastectomy. And Cleveland Clinic had offered three different options and that being one of them. Mm -hmm. And being the double mastectomy being one is a prophylactic. Mm -hmm. So that's what we went with. Wow. And that's, that's a big, big surgery, right? And then there's the, so there's that surgery, then there's surgeries that come afterwards for uh, reconstruction, if that's what you decide mm -hmm. to do. Um, yeah. So this is like a year long, year long thing that you're going through, right? Not just one procedure. Um, right, right. Yeah, so it's, it's a lot. Um, and they found like when they did the double mastectomy, mm -hmm. they found cancer on the other side. So I, I had multiple precancerous tumors is what they had said. So we made a really good decision. Wow. That is profound. I mean, that just makes me think of, you know, the people that choose the less invasive, the, the smaller procedure and have either a recurrence or find, find a, another cancer a few years later. I don't know what, what the statistics are on that. Um, but, you know, certainly one is enough, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there's not a lot out there. Um, yeah. Even when I spoke to the doctors at Cleveland Clinic, there, there just isn't a lot of statistics out there. Um, but I think, you know, you have to go with your gut and yeah. the information that we had had. So, well, you know, and not everybody is doing the amount of research you did. Not everybody is willing to invest time in multiple opinions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I think in your case, it really paid off for you to do all the research that you did. And, and uh, that's great. So, so you had your double mastectomy, and mm -hmm. then um, you had to get did you, you went for reconstruction, correct? I did. I did. Uh -huh. Yes. And how long in between the mastectomy and the 
other surgery did you wait? Um, it took several months. Let me see, mm -hmm. like six months. Mm -hmm. But you have to go in. So I had a bit of a setback. I had some internal bleeding that was a little bit serious. Um, and I had to have a second surgery on top of that, the double mastectomy where well, they had to go in. And yeah, that was, that was a little rough. So while you were still in the hospital from the double mastectomy, you had a second procedure during that same admission? It was, no, it was a week later. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah it was a week later. Um, yeah, and they got me in immediately. Mm -hmm. they, we went in and I had to go in for the, the next morning for, for surgery um, to clean that up. So, but yeah, so then every two weeks after that, they, um, uh, they inflate you, so to speak. So they get mm -hmm. your skin ready for the reconstruction. Mm -hmm. And I used to joke, it's like having two little mini beach balls inserted where mm -hmm. your breasts were with like those little squeaker toys you find in a dog toy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's actually a magnet. And every two weeks, they inject you with a saline solution. Mm -hmm. And so they slowly build up your breasts um, to the size you want them. You get to custom make them after that. So, um, well, there, there's, <laughs> I guess there's a little bonus you don't count on in the beginning when you hear the word breast cancer. Um, so, but you, you know, you've got these multiple procedures going on. And I mean, yeah. I'm just thinking in terms of, of managing psychologically and coping. I mean, there was something new almost at every turn. It, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I guess uh, it must have been a process, um, you know, coping and, and dealing. And how would, how would you say you did with, with coping during all the treatment? Um, well, I think considering everything that was going on at the time, I did well. Um, mm -hmm. There's there's moments of roller coaster, um, and you just you know you I really focused on keeping myself positive. Mm -hmm. um, I had some people in my life that were good friends, um, and they had very well int meaning intentions. But you get those people that come up and tell you horror stories well, this happened to my brother and this happened to a friend of mine. And mm -hmm. they would tell me a lot of um, scary stories about what I was going through. And I needed just to put those people at a distance. Um, so I was very careful about who I would hang out with and who I would um, just talk to and things like that. Um, I think the hardest thing for me was the isolation. Like everybody went off to work and did their thing. And I, you know, my husband was with me every step of the way and went to all of my appointments and things. But then every day I was just home by myself, mm. you know, and that's, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a, a social person. So that mm -hmm. was hard on me. And I had to just focus on, you know, sort of meditate a little bit and, and do some, you know, just kind of getting into my mm -hmm. own self a little bit and working through that. It's hard to be alone with our thoughts, you know, especially when we're not, sometimes we're not ready to move through something and work through it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but when you're alone with your thoughts, there's <laughs> really no avoiding it, right? <laughs> you so, find out what you're made of, that's for sure. Yep. Um, how did, how did your kids do with, with all this, with, you know, your diagnosis, your treatment, and how, how did they handle it and your relationship with them? How did it change? Um, well, now it's much better. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, it wasn't good. Um, my whole family was sort of a, well, this isn't a big deal. 
kind of walk it off type of a thing. And um, my, my son and my daughter, well, actually my daughter and my husband were like, you know, we don't know how much time we're going to be able to devote to this. Um, you know, they were just kind of in this like, well, I don't want this to take time out of my life kind of a thing. And my son was in Germany and he had come home on a scheduled leave and, and just, you know, hung out with his friends and slept and, and didn't really acknowledge it at all. Um, so I felt like in the beginning, I was a little bit afraid of what was going on. And mm-hmm. it's a crazy train. Like once this happens, there's people call you all the time to get these appointments in and it's constant. Um, and so this swirl of emotions that I'm going through and my family was like, well, you know, good luck with that. We love you. And as oh. it progressed, mm-hmm. they got better. And the second surgery um, that I was really sick and could hardly stand. And I was so weak. And the surgeon looked at my husband and he said to him, he goes, you know, she will survive this. And I, at that moment, I'm like, I didn't realize survival was on the table. You know, I thought I was going to be fine. Um, And that was a game changer for my husband. Um, He, he got worried then. And then I think my daughter was the same way. And and once they kind of came to grips with the seriousness of this, Uh um, it really helped with all of us. And so we, you know, our communication is a little bit better. Um, I think my relationship with my husband has deepened through all of this, um, having the care that I needed was a lot. And that was hard on me. I didn't, I've never had it to be that vulnerable before. And um, ask for help. Oh, and I couldn't even ask. I just couldn't. He just had to do like, and it's, you know, one of the funny things is like, um, I'm a private person when it comes to like the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And in 30 years, I've never gone to the bathroom in front of my husband. <laughs> ever. And I was so weak that he had to walk me to the toilet, sit me down. And then I'd be like, just go, just go, just leave, just leave. And he was like, no, because you can't even sit up. And so he'd have to hold me up while I went to the bathroom and then walk me back to my bed. And I was like, oh, this is just like rock bottom as far as our marriage is concerned. And he was (laughs) like, no, this is nothing. This is what I'm for. And I cried. I was just like, I just, I'm so like, this is terrible. Well, sure. The humiliation is, is all part of what, what makes it hard and the being vulnerable, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Wow. So, so you and your husband came out better on the other side. It sounds like you and your kids came out better on the other side. Um, And where are you at in your, in your treatment or in your, you know, journey right now with, with, um, procedures and whatnot? Um, how far post-op are you from surgery number two? Um, well, actually I've had three. Surgery number three, right. Yep. (laughs) So I had the reconstruction the end of January. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have like beautiful breasts. I even told the doctors if they wanted to use me as a model that I would be happy to do that. <laughs> You're uh, very, very proud. <laughs> <laughs> they are gorgeous. They are, yeah, they're perky, they're round, they're even. Yeah, much better than what I had before. Good for um, you. <laughs> so where I'm at now is just actually coming back from getting my energy back. Um, that was the other thing that surprised me is it just drains you. Even when they're like, oh, everything's great. You're looking fine. The fatigue and 
the just lack of doing anything for such a long time. Like when you're after surgery, you're not allowed to move your arms or lift more than five pounds for like 12 weeks. And now I'm coming back from all of that. Like I had the strength of a kitten for such a long time. So I see a PT person and I see a massage therapist to help mm-hmm. with scar tissue. Um, during COVID, I haven't been able to do that, but mm-hmm. I've been doing things on my own. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, and just ready to get my life back. Um, Renee, did you, did you have to get any psychological help, any emotional support other than from your family during any of this? Um, they actually, I went to Cleveland Clinic for all of this, and that's a big component of their care. Mm-hmm. Um, we have somebody we knew here in Buffalo, so I went to see a counselor. I put a whole team together with that kind of thing, with the PT and the massage therapist and a, a counselor. She's a psychologist, and I'm still seeing her. Um, now it's more of a, you know what, let's just get to the bottom of all the past garbage that everyone has in their life. I want to just do that now. Um, but yeah, she was amazing. And and actually, when my family was struggling to come to grips with this, I had talked to her about it. And she helped me understand where they were coming from. Mm-hmm. And it just gave me a lot more patience with them um, sure. into how they were feeling through this. Because um, when you're going through it, you don't always see other people's re- thoughts and reactions. You're just focused on yourself. And she of helped course. me um, see it in a, in a bigger picture. Do you think counseling should be uh, an integral part of everybody's treatment for breast cancer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because um, you, you just never, you know, there were times I was feeling fine about it, and then there'd mm-hmm. be moments I would just melt down. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just listened, and she helped put it in perspective. She validated and affirmed the feelings so that you didn't feel like you were being a baby about it or that you weren't overreacting or underreacting. Um, yeah, it, it was just a tremendous help for me, especially with the isolation and mm-hmm. being home alone all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she really was, I would highly recommend that. And I would, I would recommend doing the research on all this. Don't go in blind. Yeah, that, that sounds like it was a, a game changer for you. I mean, mm-hmm. especially knowing that you ended up with, you know, cancer on the other side. Um, that was really, really profound. That, that hit me quite hard when, uh, when you told me that. So, um, yeah, and I think, you know, a second opinion and a third opinion is something that our doctors should expect and, you know, accept graciously mm-hmm. when, when we say, okay, I'm going to get another opinion. Um, you know, I work in the medical field I have for many years mm-hmm. and um, I work in the surgery world and, um, you know, I've seen people come in and say, I'd like another opinion and you have to support them in that, you know, you want a well-informed patient, well-informed yeah. patient is a patient that's going to do the best they can do, you know. Um, And not everybody honors the second opinion. We actually struggled with that. Um, I went into a doctor's office for a second opinion and they wouldn't see me because it was a second opinion. They, and it was strange because their office called me three different times to make sure I was going to keep the appointment. Mm -hmm. And when we got there, 
the nurse practitioner said, um, you've already got an opinion. Why would you want to come talk to us? It's this, we have the same thoughts and she, the doctor wouldn't see us. And okay. that was a tough moment because I thought I'm coming to you at one of my most vulnerable moments in my life. My, my feelings are a roller coaster and you're telling me that you're, I'm wasting your appointment. Wow, that must yeah. have been a lot to swallow uh, because this was someone you trusted. Yeah, it's actually where we got the mammogram. I'd seen these people for the last 20 years. Wow. Um, yeah. Later, the, um, they had a nurse manager call a couple of days later who apologized to us for the, that kind of treatment mm -hmm. and you know, assured us that if we wanted to come in for another opinion that we would be seen, mm -hmm. but we, we didn't go back. Wow. Wow. Um, and you had, obviously, I'm sure they did um, lymph node biopsy during your first procedure and mm -hmm. um, your lymph nodes were negative, correct? Correct. Yeah. So, so you did not need any chemotherapy, which I'm sure was a huge relief to you. Um, oh, I feel so blessed. Yes, that we didn't have to go down that road. Sure, that that you could that see how tough. that would change things, right? And just add mm -hmm. on another another layer. Oh yeah, another layer. So I'm and lengthen the whole process. Mm -hmm. So, how is your life different now, aside from the fact that you have beautiful breasts? <laughs> Yes, I'm also looking at tattoos. So they do the nipple tattoo construction as part of that. And I opted out of it because I thought, you know, just me being me, like, well, you know what, this is a bad situation. I have these huge scars, and I'm going to make art. So, ah. Yeah, so we're looking at different, um, my whole family's actually on it. They're, they'll send me um, pictures or different ideas of what we can do. Um, so, but I have to wait until next January before I'm able to do that. You have to wait a full year. But, um, but other than that, like, I feel like I'm a little more protective of myself in the fact that um, I really just want to have some fun and I don't want to hang around people who are filled with drama. Mm -hmm. um, you know, life happens to everybody, but you get to know some people who just create drama out of nothing or they take a situation and, and get real petty about it. And I have little patience for that. Mm. Um, my daughter commented on that too. She said, mm -hmm. you, you changed some. And I'm like, yeah, um, I'm speaking my mind a little bit more, not in a bad way, but in a, these are my needs and this is what I would like at this time where I'm a little bit more direct that way. That sounds and, like a positive. It is, it is. And um, Cleveland Clinic has a, a moving forward after cancer program. Mm -hmm. And they had me see or recommended, which I did do. They had me see an integrative specialist who's kind of like on that holistic um, track as far as medical care goes. And we did a, a survey and he asked a lot of questions and moving forward, he recommended that I take certain supplements um, to build up my strength and immunity and just kind of moving forward and talked a lot about gut health as um, prevention for cancer. And so he recommended that I give up 80% of gluten, dairy, and sugar. 
and eat mostly a plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm doing now. That's a big change. That's a big change. Oh, yes. I'll bet. Um, is Ed now? Are you changing? You know, your husband's diet. Is he changing along with you, or is this a, a family thing? Or, <laughs> well, he's changing along with me in the fact that I cook different, and yeah. that's yeah. If he wants to eat, he's going to have to eat mm -hmm. what I make. Um, but he, you know, he he'll get his own things and and do his own thing. Um, so I'm not making anyone, you know, have this this journey with me, although mm -hmm. I've, I'm now an armchair expert on what causes cancer and what doesn't. So I like to share those opinions and thoughts with everybody. Um, well, I, you know, you've, you've uh, proven yourself to be a pretty good researcher. So <laughs> I, I would listen. I would listen to you. Um, yeah, they don't always like to hear what I have to say. And, you know, my children are in their 20s. So, you know, I'll say, you know, more than three drinks a week can cause cancer. <laughs> a lot of eye rolling, right? <laughs> There's a lot of eye rolling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, what didn't you expect, you know, through the whole journey? Was there, you know, uh, something that comes to mind, one thing in particular or several things that, that you didn't see coming at all? Um, well, you know, getting that opinion and, and mm -hmm. being rejected by the doctor, I didn't mm -hmm. see that coming at all. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of a blow just kind of a feeling of rejection, actually. And, and I took it more personal, maybe than I should have. But I was just feeling really overwhelmed at that moment. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of anything that particularly stood out. Um, well, you were well read and well prepared. So anything you know family wise that well you said you didn't expect your your children's reactions um to be what they were no no i guess in my head i thought they would just sort of rally around and go you know what we're here for you whatever we can do right. it didn't occur to me that it would disrupt their lives like it did um my daughter i think it gave her a level of concern about herself and her own breast health. Sure, very important. And, you know, she talked. We talked about that, and just knowing the amount of cancer that's in our family. Um, this isn't my first bout. I had thyroid cancer when I was pregnant with my son twenty years ago. Um, so this is like the second time, and so we're just kind of waiting for the third. Except that for the fact that I've just changed my entire lifestyle. Um, I did a lot of research and reading when I was uh, home alone and recovering. Mm -hmm. One of the other um, things that I saw more than one occasion is that the amount of stress you're under for a length of time can feed those cancer cells. And I thought that that might be true in my case, because for mm -hmm. the last three years, I had had a lot of other things going on um, that were stressful, nothing earth shattering, but just a, a level of stress that wasn't, that was more than normal. And I thought, I wonder if that pulled the trigger as well. Yeah. And, it, you know, those are the things like we'll never know the answer to. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel like people know their bodies. You know, people have a good sense of what's happening in their bodies, you know. Um, so you could be right. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think if you pay attention, you can find mm -hmm. out those things. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, too, is I, I am a firm believer in the power of prayer. Um, I've spent time in with the Bible when I was home alone and I had was in on multiple prayer chains. I had our church prayed over me before the surgery. I had, there was a team of people that were praying actually during my surgeries. 
um, to help them with success, you know, the success of that. And that brought me a lot of comfort, just knowing that there were people out there praying and, and, you know, that just kind of gives a sense of peace to a mm-hmm. stressful situation. Um, so prayer, uh, counseling, mm-hmm. multiple opinions, um, those are pretty important pieces of advice uh, yeah. that you've shared with, with my audience. They're going to, um, I think they're probably going to be wondering if you did the BRCA testing. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. And it came back negative mm-hmm. for the, the genes. The, um, the doctor who did the testing, now I can't remember what her title was, mm-hmm. um, she had said that they only can test, I think it was 37 genes they tested for. But they also looked at my family history. So I had my aunt write up who had cancer in our family and what kind of cancer they had. And she had also, my aunt had also had the genetic testing and hers came back negative as well, but she had breast cancer. She actually got diagnosed two weeks after me um, with her second breast cancer. She'd had the lumpectomy and radiation. And so the, the, the genetic tester said that there's so much cancer in your family that even though these specific genes don't show up, there's mm-hmm. something there. Well, and I think it also, you know, lends itself to the fact that, you know, there are other things that cause cancer, not just genetics, right? I mean, our mm-hmm. lifestyles and stress, as you pointed out, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of things. It's multi, multifactorial for most cancers. Yeah. Um, and I think it depends on the person. I think what could have caused my cancer or promoted the cancer that I had may not cause it in somebody else. I think mm-hmm. it just depends on who you are and what factors are going on in your body, your genetics, like you said, your lifestyle. Um, what affects one person doesn't always affect another. Yep, that is true. Um, Renee, any other pieces of advice you would want to share with us women regarding um, breast cancer? <laughs> um, I, th- I think I'd recommend just, you know, I said in the beginning, my family struggled with this, but afterward they came through and my husband was amazing. Just the, the having somebody there to like, he handled all of the bills. He handled the medication. Um, I ended up when I was um, in the hospital, I had two seizures and I had been getting testing done prior to having breast cancer with the seizures. And so all of that kind of complicated things. And he just took care of that. It, it was just, there was, a lot of medication you had to have after cancer and then it was titrated down and then the seizure medication was being tritated up. Um, So he just, just to have him take care of those things and be the practical side of things was helpful. Um, The other thing I'd recommend is do the work afterward. Um, Go through the exercises, do the the diet change. Um, And actually now that I'm, I'm pretty set with that, I feel a lot better better than I did before cancer. Nothing earth shattering, but there's just a level of well-being that I have now mm-hmm. that I didn't have before. That's amazing. Yeah. Good for you. Well, we are about to wrap up. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we before um, we go? I can't think of anything. Um, maybe having a sense of humor would be another one. We, we tried to work those things out too. My, my family would joke about I would get 10 punches on a cancer card. 
And if I would ask for something, they would say things like, are you sure you want to use a punch for that? So. <laughs> That's cute. Um, so yeah, humor is yeah. very important. Um, we, we had some humor, humorous moments with this whole thing. I hope that, you know, people that might be listening that, that um, have breast cancer or maybe will in the future remember, especially what you said about um, having someone to help you. It's, it's hard to ask for help. Uh, some people yes. don't have, uh, you know, a person that lives mm-hmm. with them that, that can help. But um, I think it's, that is a really, really important point that you made. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the breast cancer programs now um, will, will help you with that if you don't have somebody that you live yes. with help. Um, but yes, that- they have social workers um, mm-hmm. that contact you to make sure that you have um, a certain level of support. Yeah. Um, and the counseling was huge. Just if you don't have somebody that's that can give you that emotional support, just the counselor herself. She was fantastic. Well, Renee, I am so happy that you are on the other side of this and uh, you've certainly given us a lot of information today and, and shared so much with us about your, your emotional journey um, and your family's journey. And um, we really appreciate your honesty and your intimate details. They're really important for, for our listeners. So thank, thank you, you for having me. I from appreciate you the bottom of my heart. Yes. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, um, uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off. This girl puts out episode number four. Renee, thank you once again. Thank you, Carm. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And for more stories about real-life women, visit thisgirlputsout.com.